0: This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. I'm the other half your host, Darren Bresnitz. Darren, good to hear you as always. Greg, great to hear from you. We are so lucky to sit down with one of the legendary ice cream makers, bosses, just one of the most inspiring women we've sat down with um, in the field of food and sort of business, Jenny Britton Bauer, um, owner of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. You've seen the the flavors. And now you get to hear the story of how she sort of built everything. It's really an inspirational tale of how she started off, um, like just being involved with art and excited about that and then moving into making such a killer ice cream brand. What did you get to have? What flavors? Uh, we had the Brambleberry Crisp and uh, a few other secrets, which you'll have to listen to uh, in the interview. I will be expecting a couple cones when I come out to LA. Yes, we have some pints in the freezer. Perfect. After Jenny, we have our final hardest-working band in New York City from 2017, Big Bliss. A pair brothers and their best friend get together, talk about the merits of practice, their upcoming LP, whether or not they're going to tour through South by Southwest or finish their record, and tease a secret loft show that you'll need to go to their website to find out the details about. And we're so excited to be doing our first-ever Snacky Tunes Live in Los Angeles with Golden Voice at El Rey Theater with Wexler's Deli and Naya. Yeah, tickets are already on sale for Tuesday, March 13th. Go to bit.do backslash SnackyTunes Live. Ticket price includes a plate of food and a live podcast taping with us and all the aforementioned heroes on stage. So sit back, relax, and get ready to dig into a delicious heaping pint of Snacky Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
3: We talk about food. About music with musical dudes Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes
2: Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Darren Resnitz. We are sitting with ice cream maven, legend, entrepreneur, uh, coiffed pink hair, <laughs> Jenny Britton Bauer. Welcome to Snacky Tunes.
1: Thanks. Great to be here.
2: Um, you know, many kids were considered a dream to have their own ice cream store to eat endless ice cream, to be like, sorry, mom, I have to eat this ice cream, uh, like you have now. but. The in, in reading about you, the, the irony is you did not really love ice cream growing up.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, I... Um, <laughs> let me get in front of let it. Me just, let me just get in front
2: of, of the noise that's yeah, out right. there.
0: Well, but no, I, I didn't. I mean, I, I eat ice cream every night. Um, it was before bed. And I grew up in the Midwest, which means we eat dessert before dinner. Sure. I mean, we eat cinnamon rolls as dinner rolls, right? I mean, I don't right. know if you know that about like Peoria, Illinois, and that sort of middle of the country bread basket, sweet That's bread a- basket. So I had this hierarchy of desserts that was very like. I mean, I knew all. I knew exactly where every single you know dessert that I knew of sat in that hierarchy, and ice cream was at the bottom. Interesting. It was you know it was it was. Um, but stuff you had a sweet tooth. About- yeah, I mean, everybody I've ever met from the Midwest has a sweet tooth, um, but it's. For me, it was what we ate to settle down. We sure. would eat it with my grandmother's strawberry jam that she, she would grow the strawberries mm-hmm. and make jam out of it. And we would eat, you know, some kind of fluffy vanilla ice cream. And I was a stirrer. I always stirred it. And we would eat it while we were watching Johnny Carson.
2: I'm sorry, stir?
0: You know, stir the ice cream. And um, as it melts, I always like oh,
2: it. Oh, I'm a...
0: Now I'm, I'm not, though. I've completely changed. I'm a...
2: I'm a I hate melted ice cream. Yeah. Um, yeah, now I'm the
0: same. I don't like it either. I like so it, to, it to start out, yeah. You
2: grew know. up Midwest... Um, what was it like growing up there? Did you, you know, knowing the entrepreneurship that you've grown into uh, lemonade stand, you know, craft services, paintings, things like that. Like what did you do growing up? Was business always a part of your life?
0: Well, it was because my one grandmother is an artist. Both sure. of my grandmothers are still alive. One of them is an artist and an art teacher and she, we would go over to Enid's house and she would teach us how to make something. And it was always something, I mean, something out of nature or something. We'd pick weeds, like cattail weeds, long grass, Um, and dry them in the sun, dye them, and make baskets out of them. Mm. Um, And then when I would, or we, like, learn how to knit a sweater, like a Barbie sweater, like a small sweater. And then I would go to Betty's house, and Betty would be like, I know somebody who would want to buy one of those. Sure. Betty was just, like, scrappy, you know, like. So um, Enid and Betty are the grandmas. Grandmothers. Grandmothers. And then we would make, you know. 10 of them and literally sell them to her friends in the neighborhood or like set up a garage sale or whatever. So we would learn all these things over at Enid's house and I loved it. But the thing about Enid as an art, and she's still the same way, she doesn't she doesn't like money. She mm-hmm. doesn't like being paid or having that hang over anything that she does. She doesn't want to be influenced by that. And so Enid never wants to do the same thing twice. She always wants to move on to the next thing. But for me, I loved the idea of making something identical, you know? Sure. And um, so my sister and I would play a lot and we would play... We'd have a business. We'd actually start a business when we were kids and that was like the only thing that I remember ever really playing with her. She and I are um, 18 months apart, so very close.
2: Okay. So when you say business, what do you
0: mean? I mean whether it was just a completely pretend restaurant business where sure. we would spend the entire day making identical menus so we would have 50, you know, just to make it feel like it was more real. Or actually doing a business, I mean we would we would sell things that we made. We would. Um, always take the, the marigolds at the end of the season and get all of the seeds out of all of the neighbors' marigolds and then package them and sell them back to the same people. You know what I Got mean? It.
2: Like when they would wilt. It looks like your marigolds are gone, but so if you I'll want some them. more marigolds next <laughs> yeah. year. Um, so you stay in Ohio, you grow up, business after business, and then you wind up going to Ohio State University. Um, what was it like there? What were you studying and where were you working? Well,
0: first of all, I, school was never for me. I, I moved... Almost every year. So I didn't have... Within
2: Ohio or just um, like...
0: Between Peoria and Ohio. Peoria, Illinois. But we would move even within Peoria to like a different school district across town or whatever. Sometimes we would live in the country, literally like in the middle of a cornfield, and sometimes we would live downtown, like right downtown, where there would be like, you know, 1930s elevators in the uh, apartment building next door. Hmm. We could ride them up and down. Um, And then we moved to Columbus in 1985 in this like booming, and it still is, community. just. Growth everywhere since I've been there. It's mm-hmm. just been nothing but growth. Um, very different. The whole city is brand new. I mean, we have this great Victorian culture, but like we, it was a small and you know everything is clean and shiny and new in Columbus. That's like the most amazing I don't know thing about it. What it is? Yeah. Um, there, we have protected our neighborhoods. There are a lot of great neighborhoods, but um, but anyway. So I moved even within Columbus, and then I lived in London, Ohio, and I lived in Dayton, Ohio, for a little while, and back to Columbus. But even within that, several school districts. So. I didn't have a sort of homeschool, like sure. uh, you know, e- ever in my life, or a group of friends that I sort of grew up with that knew me or whatever. So everything was always brand new for me, uh, and I hated school. I still do. I hate it. I hate walking into. I have kids now, and like I don't like going into their schools either. <laughs> um,
2: I heard that that's the uh, the the trick about having kids that you wind up having to do homework all over again.
0: Yeah, but you know what? Teachers are are way not teachers. Teachers have always been great, but like the way. They're they're getting more and more against homework. Sure. Across the board, Love they it. understand like what my mother understood, which was, so I I never once did homework between K, you know, to twelve. You I never did homework. Never did my homework, um, and my mother was very against homework. Very against. How did against you get it. away with that? Well, I got straight C's and often yeah. D's, but I did well on tests, and that was that. So. <laughs> Can't
2: spell ice cream without C. Am I right?
0: yeah right yes there so, you know there you go i was a hustler you know what i mean like i i, sure. I just figured it out and like that was the thing and um and so of so. course ohio state was like ah, yeah no thank you no thank you no you know we like oh, we don't need a solid d student thank here. you so much oh <laughs> and like that was in the early 90s it was uh you know it's not it wasn't you know whatever so but so they said no i wrote them a letter I like appealed it. I was like, yeah, I don't, you know, this is what I was doing. Don't it. count me out. Because in high school, I wanted to work. I worked at a bakery, a French bakery. It was amazing, and I I loved it. I actually sure. worked at an ice cream shop for a little while. Like I loved working and doing things. So I just was like, here's what I was doing. You know, I wasn't. I do. I wasn't just. Doing all of the sports, I did nothing after school but but what I wanted to do, which was work, create things, write, draw, listen to music or whatever. And like I just wrote, told them what I was doing. Like I wasn't lazy. Yeah. You know. You I want, did, yeah, and well. I learned a lot. I loved things like mythology. I liked taking. I could you know in my school I could take mythology I did that. Anyway, they let me in. So so that was you know. And that I was there
2: where we started studying uh, fine arts. Yeah. And you continued in art history. And you change your work in a bakery and it was actually. Those loves that, and you're going to have to draw that line for me, that got you to ice cream.
1: Well,
0: here's the thing. I was trying to, you know, I'm 20 years old. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do as a job. And of course, when you study art, everybody's like, yeah, but what are you actually going to do?
2: But you also had your background, because your grandmother's of like liking business or being aware yeah. of business, right? So
0: I knew that I was studying art so that one day I could have a business. And I was even thinking maybe I need to go to pastry school and I couldn't afford pastry school. I, you know, tried to figure out how to make that work like in New York or whatever. And knew that that was not gonna be on the table for me. So um, one of my ideas was perfuming. I, I've always been very connected to my sense of smell. I grew up actually in Peoria before we moved. We had 10 acres of forest land my grandmother Enid, the, the artist, um, had and my grandfather at the time. And he, he was very into Thoreau, so he had like a cabin in the woods. We built an authentic mm. teepee there. We had um, honeybees and maple trees we tapped every year for, for syrup. We had 12 or 15 gardens. And so I was very connected to my sense of smell from that place. and sure. Anyway, so I thought I should be a perfumer. I had a friend who was studying chemistry at Ohio State, and he was doing a lot of work with things that smelled beautifully or whatever, beautiful or whatever. and not, not knowing how much chemistry this was going to involve. You know, so... making perfume? Yeah. It's all chemistry. Like, it's deep, deep, deep. deep High-level yeah. chemistry. But so I, um, I thought, well, maybe if I can get to Grasse, France, like, I had all these French sure. friends that would be, like, I would find somebody or whatever. That was my plan. But in the meantime, I started collecting essential oils and essences and blending perfumes on my own. And this went on for like two or three years I'm reading sure. everything I could about scent. Um, so it was a pretty deep hobby. So that connects with art because at the Wexner Center, which is a beautiful, it's in a, it's our um, um, Center for, for Contemporary Art in Columbus. They had a, a group of artists there, an exhibition. One of them had these giant vases filled with scent. And I was like, oh my God, scent is art, can be art. So there was that in my, my head. And um, anyway, one day I had the idea to to, to use ice cream to carry scent. So as a perfumer, okay. you either use um, a fat that's solid at room sure. temperature but melts immediately on contact with your body. Not all fats are like this. Some, some fats like cocoa butter do not melt when you put it on your skin. Right. You have to really rub at it. Um, and Or you go down to Kentucky like I did and you would buy a super high proof alcohol to, to make these scents. And then, so I had this idea that maybe that I would use ice cream to do that. So and you so convince
2: people uh, to eat it, not yeah. have people spread it on their uh, no, no, no their yeah. nape and their. So I bought diet, ice cream yeah.
0: and I and I put like some uh, the first one I actually did was cayenne. I had a cayenne essential oil, which doesn't have a smell, but it has the physical property of heat on your on your tongue. Um, and I mixed that into chocolate ice cream. So and this is like in 1995, so right? It's a long time ago. Yeah. So
2: I want to set because yeah. because people are gonna listen to this in in 2018, and so much of what you're doing and what's so amazing is in the the mid to late 90s. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's just set the stage. No social media, almost no internet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the concept of artisanal food is non Not if I don't anything, think
0: to... it was only in bread? Yeah. No, there, was a, there was a bit of a bread. But there thing wasn't happening. this
2: small batch. There's no crafted, mm-hmm. there's none of that.
0: Not even really in beer, I mean, to,
2: to speak oh, no. of.
0: I mean, there were a couple breweries Sam in Adams. there.
2: Sam Adams. Maybe. Yeah. So let's just set that, because I want everyone to know that, get in that mindset when we're t- talking about this. So you start putting, so you make this scented ice cream. And then does the light bulb go off because you're like, oh, wait, I sort of like ice cream better?
0: The light bulb went off in such a big way. I mean, I remember it so deeply because I didn't just, I mean, I made that one. I made rose petal like in the same group in that same thing. And I had this like $400 rose oil that I had saved for months to get. Um, So it was beautiful. So immediately when I taste it, it's like I can taste the sweet. I got the cold, which kind of was you know alerted me. I got the sweet, and then like a couple seconds later, you start to like smell the ice cream, and I realized in the sec that second that like first of all, all ice cream could be considered edible perfume, even sure. the most inexpensive vanilla bean. In fact, especially because that's probably synthetic, which is what most perfumes are now, um, and that butter fat. Because I'd actually been studying food. I was watching. Um, great chefs, great cities. I mean, I rushed mm. home to watch that. So I knew some about food. I loved that show. I really learned a lot. And that was back when, like, the, the food network was just beginning.
2: I mean, but what they and had was not... I mean, when you think about food TV at the time, that yeah, was... It was a totally PBS graphic. was sort of really yeah. the bar, the PBS, high bar.
0: like, that was where, you know, that... And, and even, like... Um, the learning channel was actually like the most boring shows (laughs) about learning something. But sure. And so you would anyway so I loved that so I knew that butter fat was like a special fat and I immediately realized that um, and I knew things like you know if you store butter right next to an onion it will absorb the scent of that. Sure. So I was like oh my god you can use that power to make countless endless um, experiences in ice cream like you know, and we have only scratched the surface if we think that vanilla is the last the, the great, you know, flower <laughs> scent, right? You know, in the world.
2: And so then, how does that leap go from opening up your first store, which was called Scream Ice Cream in '96?
0: Um, well, it's funny because I was still in school, still making ice cream and taking it to parties on the weekends, and everybody who I knew knew me as like the ice cream girl. Um, so some
2: things haven't changed,
0: he, right? Yeah, well now I'm the ice cream lady, right?
2: Yes, ice cream lady. (laughs) Right. It's grown up. (laughs) It's grown
0: up. Um, So I was still going to school, riding my bike down, and and one day in my uh, figure drawing class, um, I wasn't real happy to be there already, and a model showed up who I couldn't draw. She was tall and and thin and beautiful, but her angles were, I'm just not good at them, so I like drawing big and I like round. I love the round models that would come in, you know, and that would be really fun for me, and I like to draw on big paper. And so, like, I was really depressed. It's three hours long,
1: the and class, and I was just there. like,
0: I want to go make ice cream. Like, I don't even want to be here. Yeah. And it was, like, portfolio week. It was an important day to be there. And I got up, and they're, they're, you sit on a drawing horse, and, and, and it's just, mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like sitting on a horse. So you have your paper in front of you, yeah. you're sitting there, and you've got your supplies there. And I just got up and left, and left everything where it was, and rode <laughs> my bike home. Because it was like, you know, you, whatever. Rode my bike home, made ice cream, and then never went back. So
2: the supplies still may be there.
0: Supplies are, yeah. Well, and then I started my business and my, um, the professor, her name was Pia and she had blue hair and she was German and she came, she found me and she was like, do you want any of your like portfolio back or like any of your stuff? And I was like, no, I I made a complete break Um, for me. That's amazing that you
2: know the moment when you made it. So you go home, you make ice cream and then how did you open this? I mean,
0: well, and first of all. That moment when I had ice cream. This is about six months after that first time I, I tried ice cream, sure. Um, or even less, even just even three months maybe. Um, that moment, I knew, and it, it's because I was looking. I was looking into pastry, and I was really studying pastry and thinking about doing that, and um, I and, and art, and i had been looking at the world through through the lens of opportunity because that's what entrepreneurs do, and I'd done that since I was a kid, and looking for this for you know something fun to do and ideas. Um, And then scent and knowing those things, I knew that when I did that, that that ice cream could be so much better than it was. And so I knew, like in that moment, it was like the sky opened up. It was like this light bulb, but it was like, I knew my entire life was going to be different. I knew this is what my path was going to be, and I just had to figure out how to get there. So that moment, which is extended in my mind now, but it was a really huge moment, and I never looked back from that second. It was just trying to figure out how am I going to, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this or whatever?
2: All right, we're going to take a quick musical break. We're going to talk about how you actually did it, the growth over 10, 15, 20 years, all the amazing stuff you're doing, and all the amazing flavors that you make. Uh, we have a song from the archives here on Snacking Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
3: Margarita, salt the rim. Kick your shoes off and let me in. When we're done Text your friends and maybe we can have some fun do 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 I can scoop them in the minivan do da do Today is playing perfect as long as I'm not working. One, two, three, four. Hell yeah, five, six, seven, eight, nine times on the way. One, two, three, four.
2: Jenny Britton Bauer of Jenny's funded ice cream. So, the year is 1996. You have the entrepreneur inspiration from your grandparents. You have your love of design. You have your love of aroma and flavors through perfumery. You've made a mental break from your career as a painter. And now you're home making ice cream. How do you take all of that and open up your first ice cream shop?
0: Uh... (laughs) Well, we—I'm—I'm I'm very lucky. I live in a community that has an indoor public market, and if it hadn't—and and this is a really, really important thing for me and for my story—because I don't think that I could have done it without that. So, we're at, the market is a place where you can get, you know, hundred square feet of space that's already plumbed with, you know, sinks for dishwashing, ready for food production. Um, You know, you put in a counter, you put in an ice cream machine or whatever, you know, an oven or whatever it is that you're doing And you're in business and you've got a million or two million people who are going to walk through that market every single year Mm -hmm. Um, And the rent is Very low. I mean compared to like that kind of foot traffic anywhere else in the country And so I started hanging around the market. I mean I was always hanging around the market anyway But I really started to get to know people in the market and the the management And it took a long time to convince them that we that they should let me in uh, and I had a friend who I was doing the business with and so we were just like we wrote this business plan which was you know probably nothing of what it ought to be or whatever you know I don't even remember I went to Henry Bendel which is funny because I had no money back then my family didn't have money I was working like I had zero dollars but somehow the only person I don't know why I felt like I needed a suit I needed a suit and this is like you know just as like young Jenny I just you know, I didn't want people to see me as like this kid. I wanted them right. to see me as like I was serious. I wanted this business. I was ready to go or whatever. Even you know, even though whatever. That's that's another story. But um so I got a suit, and they were the only ones that could actually get it to fit me, like by the next day or I mean, whatever it was. And so I went to Henry Bendel and bought a suit, which okay. is so funny. I still have it. Yeah, of course. I still have it because it was like such a does hold an the, artifact.
2: Does the whole does it, like if you wore it out tonight on a yeah. Saturday night? No, I would have.
0: Actually, yeah. I mean, I sometimes wear the jacket. It's actually it's actually very cool. It's black suit and it's great. I so mean, you got the pants s- don't fit anymore, but whatever. <laughs> um, so, but so the thing is, was convincing the people who were in charge of the market to give us a space, and they yeah. were like, they were really trying to build a grocery experience in the market. The market had just reopened um, in a new building because um, it needed it, and it was you know two hundred years old, one hundred and fifty years old, or whatever. And um, so it just reopened and it was, it was very fresh and new, whatever. They were trying to build a grocery experience for people, It was before Whole Foods was at all anywhere or, you know, any of the natural groceries at the time. And so, they were not keen on an ice cream company at all, especially right. one from, you know, young you know, girls or whatever that they saw us as. And I think I had pink hair back then, so that made it even worse. Um, so my grandfather in St. Petersburg, Florida, I had, there was a show on PBS called The Ice Cream Show. And it's hmm. a fantastic show. They did a bunch of different shows. It was a sandwich one or whatever. They go across the United States and buy an ice cream. And in that show, there was a company called Bassett's. Or still, I mean, there is a company called Bassett's yep. in the Reading Terminal Market in Philadelphia. An incredible company. Shout out. They were the ones that, that were, first put vanilla bean specks in vanilla mm. ice cream. It was amazing. So my grandfather, I asked him, I asked him to record it. I didn't have a VCR. <laughs> so I asked him to record the show when it was on Next um, on a VCR tape and send it to me, which he did, and I gave that to the people at the market, and that convinced them.
2: That you, if that Reading it, Terminal Market could have what I Yeah, that we
0: could build um, an ice cream company at the market that the market would be proud to have.
2: And so they gave you the spot, and what was it like opening, and let's talk about the flavors, because yeah. knowing what your flavors are now, which are gorgeous and layered and, and unique and innovative, was that lit like that way from the beginning?
0: Um, Yeah. I mean, it was, um, but so I saw myself, I was still in the art world in in my mentally, like I was still thinking of myself as, as like this wannabe artist. And that was a, um, you know, a problem because I would make new flavors every day. So we opened and I would be inspired by what was going on in the market. And then also I was still working with essential oils, really beautiful essential oils to sort of, so. Uh, and, or some, and often, plant, you know, herbs, you know, like plant matter, like actual, like, so peppermint, fe- fresh peppermint um, has a different, it's different when you steep it in cream versus a peppermint oil where you get this really pure peppermintiness or whatever. And so, playing around with all of that stuff. I was learning a lot. I thought I knew a lot about flavor, which, you know, whatever. But I really didn't know anything about um, the molecular structure of ice cream and how to bring flavor forward at all. And so... I was just having, I was struggling with that, so I'd want to use honey, a really beautiful honey, but like it would make the ice cream not scoop. Sure. I mean, I just didn't know anything sure. about it.
2: You knew what the flavors you wanted, but you didn't know about the science. I
0: didn't know anything about it at all, at yeah. all. And so it was complicated, and I realized that, but anyway, but so the, the other thing is just making flavors that I wanted to every day, I wasn't able to build like a customer base or you know the people yeah, what like,
2: were, yeah what were those early days like I mean because you know you were making something that was sort of artisanal but people were probably used to you know mint chocolate chip was probably as crazy as it got on a Friday night yeah um, what were those early days like like building a customer base how did people respond
0: um, uh, people love to come by and taste it was really hard I mean we were having like nine dollar days I mean there were, it was just like you know um, it, you know it was funny I mean I, I feel like my whole scream days for me, looking back, were more about all of the things. It was just about all the things I was learning. I was learning how people responded to ice creams. I was learning things like, you know, I mean, I, I made salty caramel back then, and, um, and it was inspired by a French chef who I'd worked with, who told me that the, the caramel where he's from is salty. And I think what he really meant to say, what I would think of, is salted. In America, all caramel is salted, or at least back then it was all yeah. we did not differenti- differentiate between like a burnt sugar sauce and wa- just burnt sugar and water Sure. versus like a um, a cream caramel with. Salt, salt and vanilla. That's like what all Americans are. Right, normal but you is. heard
2: salty, so you were. Added. So I was
0: like, oh, it's like Scandinavian licorice over there. So for me, what it was, here's what I would do. I mean, I I didn't have the money to travel. I hadn't done any travel, virtually any. I mean, I spent some time in Puerto Rico, and and that was it. Um, so I would go to the library and like read about things, and then I would make ice creams inspired by that too. And so I would be at the library reading about Tokyo, and I would come back and re- and make some kind of flavor that, or go to the Tokyo, you know, the, the Japanese grocery store and like make right. flavor that was inspired by.
2: Salted actually plum. not
0: Tokyo, right. but what was available in the library sure. in Columbus, Ohio that told me about Tokyo, which was actually a sort of interesting perspective too and whatever. But the but the but the bigger thing is that I never had flavors that you could rely on, so if you fell in love with salty caramel as everyone did, and you brought ten friends back the next day, like I wouldn't have it, you know, and so it was right. just like so oh, you no, I'm to... not here for the lavender. You know what I mean? Yeah, like,
2: especially because the flavors are so unique and different that there wasn't like Oh, well, I'll just push you over here. I'll just have
0: vanilla. No, I didn't even have vanilla for like 10 until like, you know, many years later.
2: And so you're learning all from Scream. And what made you want to rebrand into uh, Jenny's Spun Ice Cream? How did you, like, what were you learning? Did you feel like you needed a new break? Or were things starting to pick up? And you're like, okay, I'm going to throw my name in this. I'm going to make a whole rebrand because I've sort of figured it out.
0: Um, You know, I... My business partner at the time wasn't interested in the business at all. I spent every single day there making ice cream. I was there 10 or 12 hours a day. I had one day off. Um, I really burned out, honestly. Yeah. Like, I burned out in a huge way. And I knew that if I was going to do this for my life, something big had to change. So I um, told the market that we were leaving. I didn't renew our lease. And then told her that I had told him that. And, um, you know, she said, and she was the money person. Um, which wasn't much. It was like thirty thousand dollars for this whole business, you know. And um, and she was like, um, "Well, I'm still gonna do it, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna like be the next ben and Jerry's or whatever." And I was like, "Okay, How I gotta it? go. Like, I gotta you go know? do something else." So um, so I left that, and then like, I don't know. Maybe within a few months, it was like I couldn't go anywhere in Columbus without people telling me like, "When are you gonna be back into business?" Like, you, right. into business? you know, like the market was getting a ton of calls and they hadn't been really happy with how we were doing things anyway like so they were sort of like yeah you know whatever and um and it was probably about 6 months later that i that i just really was like okay i can't stop thinking about ice cream it's become a part of who i am like it's what else am i going to do i mean maybe i will go be a perfumer but like i just started really thinking like i think i i got to get back into it and then i started writing a, a real business plan and i was like but if i do it i have to do it differently i have to be complete like i have i have to own everything like i have to like be able to use, you know, to just do it my way, a hundred percent. And um, so I started writing a business plan and again, just my family has no money. I have no way to get money, you know, I don't think I'm going to get a loan from the bank because I yeah. made in, at Scream I made $638 a month. That was what I took home to live off of wow. for four years. And luckily they fed me in the market and all that. And I yeah. thought it was a great adventure. I lived out of my car for three months and like mm. couch surfed. like. Um, I loved it. I had a great But adventure. you're like, if, like if, if I'm going to do this, do this yeah.
2: I need a home, a shower, m- yes. maybe at least 700, around 700 a month.
0: I need to be able to, yeah, you know, I didn't yeah, need yeah. much, but I like needed to know that there was a future and that it wasn't just going to trickle along. So that was when I started writing a new business plan and you know, back in 1990s, well now we're in 2000. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever, everything was just very different. Like, you know, you still had to go to like the library to find like Yeah, a you lot couldn't of go little you like couldn't
2: little bit of business the same. business plan. Ice cream.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, I did actually like use the um, SBA. They had a great web, I mean, at the time a great website, but you know. I've yeah, heard it. nothing
2: but amazing things before, yeah. like pre-internet, that they were really the people.
0: Yeah, and you, um, could, you could go online to the SBA and get a download of their I'll, business. I'll say plan. this,
2: another famous ice cream shop, Ben & Jerry's, actually yeah. talks about using all that, and that's how they got their start as well.
0: That's funny, but I mean, I, I think there's a lot of businesses. Yeah, because they were fantastic, and their business planning, um, outline is what I used and it was great and I just got it off their website even in like you know 2000.
2: So you have the business plan and you relaunch as Jenny's fund ice cream was it immediately different from the beginning like did you go in knowing that you had to be consistent with flavors you sort of had these flavor profiles like knowing that people could come back and get the same experience day in day out.
0: Yeah it was um it was it was altogether different and uh, I also like at Scream I, I wore you know wacky outfits, thrifted stuff, and I had pink hair and um, at, at Jenny's I wore a starched white shirt every day and, and an apron. I mean I got up and starched my my shirt and like went I I like to think like I put on a character and then mm. I, I called it like the shopkeeper I mean I would like look at these old-fashioned shopkeepers in America like on the main street You know with their broom and whatever and I like put that character on when I went to my business every day um uh i i knew that i had to have consistent flavors mm-hmm. so i i created a list of like what i called the signature flavors the ones that i knew that at scream everyone loved but that i just didn't have all the time um and and the thing is like between scream and jenny's after i closed scream was when i realized some of the mistakes that i was making i mean i was like at a coffee shop on a saturday and i wanted the scone so badly that they had and i it was like gonna be my entire day at a vogue magazine and a, you know five dollar bill or whatever and i walked in and i waited in line i got up and they were out of the scone and that was for me like the moment when i realized i also remember this moment perfectly like i walked through the door and i was like what like how can they not care that like i cared so much to come here mm. how did they not give a shit about that moment and then they you didn't went, care and
2: then you went oh wait maybe and I, I said shit. shit.
0: i mean literally i was like it was like a ton of bricks i did that to every single customer that came by Scream, and now i know and that moment was like, okay, that was really what jump-started the right, really. like, I Right, because if you have how to a bad
2: day, and all you want is that, yeah. like, salt caramel, or lavender, pepper crisp, these, these like, are, yeah, and then important. you go there, and you're like, oh, you don't have it? You go, well, thanks. Thanks yeah. for nothing.
0: And then on top of it, it's like, yeah, because I'm an ice cream artiste, and I do things. I mean, it's like, mm. well, fuck you, you know, whatever. Like, really?
2: I mean, but back, back then, that time, I mean, was the idea, and you being like an artist in the earth where you're like, I'm an artist, I can't do this, or... And sort but, of. But by the time you got to Jenny's, you were like, maybe this is also the bit, like, yes, I'm an artist, but there's also the business.
0: I was, um, yeah, I mean, at Scream, it's not that I didn't care. I thought that's what people wanted. Like, I thought that would be, like, really cool. Like, oh, you they know, don't have
2: it. They don't have Yeah, yeah, they don't yeah. have, they don't have what I
0: came here for, like, so I can just change my idea. So, no. Um, but, so yeah, so at Jenny's, I... And, and, and by the way, too, like, I love service so much. So I come from a service perspective, even at Scream with that sort of annoying artist thing that I did, I still thought for whatever reason that it was like a nice thing, like, um, so I don't, you know, so I got service in a different way that moment when I thought of that, and also of course business and entrepreneurship, and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that it didn't occur to me you know that that's not that's not why I go anywhere and if I do nothing but what I expect from businesses that's all I have to do right and when have I ever thought I'm going to go and see what this person's doing today
2: yeah like no it's like no you want to go somewhere somewhere, because you know what you're going to get so at what point once you open Jenny's you have the flavors down you have the new business approach did you realize that this was going to work this was going to be something special
0: um, so I, the day we opened was was um, a special day in Columbus too because it's a, the Michigan game Saturday, which no one's out in Columbus on the streets or it seems like that because Ohio State Buckeyes play Michigan and it's their their rival and whatever. And like everyone's glued to the TV and their guacamole and it's awesome and like whatever party they're at. So we were like, it's actually a great day to open because we'll be able to like take a soft sort of opening. Uh, but actually we were slammed mm-hmm. the whole day. And it was like word traveled. I don't know, I don't understand it, but... We yeah, so slashed. how
2: did word travel? Because again, <laughs> like, let's paint the scenes in the 2000s, light internet, mm-hmm. uh, no no social media, like, you know, you had taken time off, but were people just...
0: So back then, you mm-hmm. would, I mean, I, I would like um, hand out, when I, when I, so back in 20, well, I, I won't go into that story, this whole thing, but I would literally hand out cards. Mm-hmm. Like I would design cards and I would stand in the market and hand out cards. Um, so when I knew, like, I had an ice cream party in 2001 to, just to say, I'm getting back in. And I would just stood in the market and gave out cards. And the same thing happened when we were going to open Jenny's. We knew it a couple days before, and I would stand in the market and hand out cards. Like, we're going to be here. Um, you know, I, even I sometimes would put up, I would design or draw some, like, poster, go to Kinko's and print it out, and then color it with markers, and then then post it on the street, you know, posts or whatever. So, um, so people knew. And, uh, and I was floored at the response that we ended up getting. And it was just that, like, you know, I mean, tell people you're going to be here.
2: And you'll be there. Now, you know, I just want to bring this up with the present, because we could spend another yeah. hour about... we
0: got, like, 20 more years still.
2: I mean, the growth, the businesses, the James Beard Award for the cookbook. Um, you know, the fact that you have redefined what it means to be a small business, to be an entrepreneur. And so I want to ask... Sort of about that last part, what it means to be an icon and a role model for other people starting their businesses um, and what advice you would give them and sort of like what is the one or two things that stand in your mind in this whole journey from when you built the business, from when you opened the first store to where you are now.
0: So I think, of, um, I think of the entrepreneur founder role as a very clear and specific role to me. And I haven't really studied business very much, other than what I've done, going from art to science to business, and understanding what I know about our business. But um, but but I think of the um, that founder role to be the one who like knows what we're doing, right? So my my job has been to learn everything there is to learn about ice cream to create a vision of what's possible in ice cream, which it turns out like it's an amazing. There, what they're doing in ice cream right now is nothing about, you know, compared to what could be done, right? I mean, you can use milk proteins, which is what we're doing, to make, to build body and texture in ice creams. More like a cheesemaker is making cheese. Mm. There's a lot we can do in ice cream to bring out flavor, but, but it's all about actually body and texture of the ice creams. And that's this whole science project that's amazing. Um, and it's so complex, and, it's, and it involves moving milk. I mean, like, I just like, why didn't I go into coffee where I could just like buy coffee beans and have dry coffee beans I Buy shipped? coffee, I'm
2: roast them, grind them them. I'm done. Yeah. But now. But you-
0: milk, you know, first you have to get all of uh, the, the good farms into one 10,000 gallon tanker truck. You have to fill that up. With the good milk, well, nobody wants you to do that, right? Because then they have to sell some of the good milk and with the, the bad milk, right? You can't use up; it's so you can't use up all of that milk. So you're the like dairies the, are not going
2: to work with you've you. You've also gotten in the commodities business as well.
0: It's it, I'm just you know, dairy is just like the I don't know, it's the final frontier on the farm, the good food movement or whatever. I don't know how we're gonna. Anyway, it's complex. So the founder role, yeah, is all about knowing everything there is to know about that and the details of ice cream for me but for somebody else it's something else Um, and then there's business that takes place all around there but there's also so many other things too so surrounding yourself with people who are like amazing and know their stuff or whatever is the thing so then that's my sort of that's what I that for me feels like what I'm leading if I'm leading anything is to like help people understand how important it is that they know everything that they don't you know try to spend too much time working on their the businessy kind of stuff because you bring in people who know about that stuff. So you go really deep into what it is that you're here to do and then also understand people and how that works. And I think that takes that sort of street-level entrepreneurship.
2: Which you can thank your grandmas for.
0: Yeah. But, like, I also spent 10 years making ice cream and serving ice cream, right, before I ever went anywhere else. And, like, that knowledge that I have from doing that and how people react to flavor is what I base everything on. It's also, like, what I've learned about seasonality and all that stuff from the market. People don't, you know are unwilling to put that time in now, I think, sometimes, and they, they want... I think so, you know? too,
2: because um, if you look at your journey and the way that you look at it, it's like, yeah, you were there on the front lines building the business by literally scooping it and washing floors and things like that, but then it switches to, at some point, being more of, like, the entrepreneur, more of, like, the, the big-eye picture, but you don't seem to understand how to really be successfully if you don't put your time in at the counter or, yeah. at, or on the front lines.
0: And the whole time I thought, you know, this, we can be, we are going to set the standard of American ice cream. Like I never once thought we were going to be a small mom and pop ice cream shop sure. the whole life, my whole life. But there was just so much to learn. And because we're doing something so different than everybody else, it wasn't like, we really are, you know, cutting our own path out of this jungle. And, um, and that is a tough thing to do, but, um, You know, it took longer than I expected it to. It took more money than I expected it to. But, like, that was the only way it could have gone. There were no shortcuts in the way, you know, there's no shortcuts. And I I think that's true about a lot of things.
2: And I think that a lot of people don't understand that these days. I I think think they see the success now that they have Instagram, now that they have social media. They see the success, but they don't understand that you started your business in the mid-90s. And now you are sort of, I mean, you happened for a while, obviously, but the benefits are really rolling in and you know with all the awards and the accolades and things like that but that's because you have 20 years it's not the hey let's make hamburgers uh, that look like rabbits <laughs> and uh, then yeah, you hey, know yeah. and then let's put them up on instagram and then hopefully we'll have success well
0: and i'll tell you i don't think i see all of that that stuff, you know, like, um, super over garnished stuff or whatever. And I'm just going the opposite direction. I'm just, you know, I do think that quality still matters. I think it still shines through. I think when you think about doing something for the long road, you know, and, and being around for a long time, it can't be about whatever, you know, label you can put on it or whatever you do for Instagram or whatever, like you have to put your name on it and like really mean something. And if it's just visual, you'll get a big, big blast in the beginning and then it will just, deeper out. I mean, it always does. I've seen it now, you know, enough to know that that's just not something you can build a business on, but it's, but people see that. The young it. people see that. They think that's what that you do now. And so, you know, I'm, I, I just, I still don't think that that's, that's a great way to get into business, but...
2: And neither do I. Now, before I have time, I have to ask because, really, why, have, I mean, I've always liked your ice cream, but why I've grown to love your ice cream is because my wife loves your ice cream, mm-hmm. and she's always bringing it home and things like that. And the one thing that I wanted to ask for her was the flavors, because the flavors, when you go to the page and you see the new flavors and you see the combinations, They're always so exciting. So obviously when you started developing your flavors back in the 90s and even in the 2000s, that was one thing. But now I feel like that there's so many artisanal people out there who are doing crazy flavors or even not crazy flavors, but it's like, we got this vanilla bean, they only grow 10 pounds of it a year and so, you know, things like that. It can get very competitive. How do you come up with your flavors now? What is the testing process? And how do you go like, this is a
0: winner? Um, We're in the kitchen all the time. And that's just, we're just constantly making making new things. But I mean, I ask myself a lot, does, like, is this flavor, does the world really need this flavor? And I have this thing that I say that's, um, you know, just because it's surprisingly not bad doesn't mean it's good. There You can do any, you can put anything in ice cream and it is surprisingly not bad. Yeah. Right? I mean, you've seen it, turkey gravy or Fritos or whatever. You can put anything into an ice cream base and it will be surprisingly not bad. But is it good you know french fries and frosty when you're a kid you're like that's awesome yeah and it's really not awesome it's just you you've been surprised that it wasn't terrible yeah you know and so then it becomes a thing so for me it's really always about is this really a a, a a special flavor is this something that the world needs is this something that we're happy and proud to put in the world is this something that i would want to order and so we're always you know always inspired by things and the ingredients and so on and just getting in the test kitchen and making it and then and then, like, if I'm craving it, like, you know, if I'm starting, if I'm, like, I can't take my mind off of it, like, Langlang Lang is one of my favorite flavors. Mm-hmm. It's a flower from Indonesia, and I think it could compete with vanilla. Um, and I literally, I think about this when I'm going to sleep. Hmm. I was thinking about this last night, I'm going to sleep, and I have a moment, I have a special, specific moment on an ice cream cone that I love the most, it's, like, midway through the cone oh, when yeah? eating it. And, like, I was thinking about that flavor as I was falling asleep last night. Yeah, like, if we got, you know? if you get someone in there. And I'm like, if I can do that, then that flavor is really important.
2: Awesome. Well, Jenny, thank you so much. Where can people find the ice creams? How can they get them?
0: Well, we have um, shops in eight wonderful cities across the United States, including right here in L.A., thank um, you. but also Jenny's.com. We ship it all over the country, wherever you're at, and
2: awesome. we'll be there. And where can people find you? On Instagram, social media, things like well, that. Well,
0: Jenny Britton Bauer. Um, I have mine, and then Jenny's Ice Creams with an S is our, is our other one, and there you go.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We have another song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Teens on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. a very 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 proud sponsor of the heritage radio network we're also super awesome
4: thank you heritage Heritage.
2: welcome back to snacky tunes we have big bliss in house Hey. hey hey man hey you want to go around the room and introduce yourselves
5: sure Uh, We'll start with me. I'm Corey Race, and I play drums in a band called Big Bliss.
6: (laughs) (laughs) I'm Wallace. I play bass in a band called Big Bliss.
4: I'm Tim, and I'm somewhere involved in, in Big Bliss guitar vocals. And just in case you missed it, Big Bliss is in, <laughs> is in studio.
6: We are all Big Bliss we're here. All,
2: aren't, we, aren't, aren't, Big we Bliss. All, aren't we all Big Bliss? Everybody's Big Everybody's Bliss together.
4: That's kind, of, I mean, that's kind of what we're going for. I yeah. want everybody to be involved, you know? Um, That'd be
5: great.
2: Because people can't see the two of you. They might not realize that you're brothers.
5: Yeah. Yes.
2: This is your first project together, but you played in other bands before.
5: Yes, many. Many bands, but never before, uh, like two, three years ago. I think it's when we started playing together. Yeah,
4: not even... Yeah, and we just were, like, writing songs for a minute, and he just kind of, like, talked me into it, like, kind of coaxed me into, um, like, writing songs together, because I was... I, I had been playing I had been playing in bands for a while and then stopped for a couple of years, like, when I moved to New York, and Corey played in a bunch of bands. But, yeah, I think, you know, between the two of us, we've been playing... Like uh, you know, like twenty five years or so together. Yeah. Like like you know, in separate bands and never never did it together. So mm-hmm. yeah, this is the first one.
2: And what was it that you couldn't find in other projects that you had to bring your brother in?
5: Um, oh, that that's a unanswerable one. <laughs> really, but but uh, I'll do my best. Um, well, I I feel that I I could be more involved in the process. Um, even though I suppose I was in other bands, but just since we were related, you know, it was felt like I wasn't just the drummer. Like, I was actually a co-songwriter in this project. I mean, other projects I were in before, you know, that was supposed to be the deal, but that didn't end up being the case, you know. So just if you're in a band with a family member... You know It's either like yes, Insane yeah. competition Or Or you cooperate <laughs> Really well And for the most part As far as music Related stuff goes I think we do Cooperate pretty well I mean uh, Sorry Just to add to that I think it's important That uh I don't know uh,
4: Corey and I I, I kind of grew up Listening to like Better music Than I normally would Because of Corey Kind of putting it on You know While I was playing Like Nintendo 64 Or whatever You know I uh, that though. No no It was great I mean, <laughs> Golden eye rules um, But uh <laughs> Yeah, uh, but we have we have a lot of like similar influences. So like you know when we like said we wanted to like, kind of take cues from like you know late seventies, early eighties, post punk, you know punk and stuff, and uh, take it in that direction. It just kind of clicked, you know. So
2: yeah, it's interesting. Most bands are all pulling from different reference points because they mm-hmm. just grow up with different things. So yeah. how, how would you feel that? Is there any disparity between what you listen to and versus what you listen to, or was it you were just kind of listening to the same thing and that actually gives you a much more focus and you're not kind of softening it because you have the same reference point?
5: I think it was close enough. I mean, obviously we don't have exactly the same music taste, but um, we were pretty much coming from such a similar place that, you know, it it was pretty focused on, on what we wanted, you know? I mean, we wrote a ton of songs, like, right away, but... Two out of the maybe ten we wrote, a, we wrote, we still play, you know, uh, and ended, ended up being keepers. So th- there wasn't a lot of that. Bands I've been in before, I feel it's a lot of like translating for the other members, like like what you want to do, and you have to give them a playlist and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that, but with us, it was just it was just kind of just straight, you know. Wallace, you're you're nodding. Did you <laughs> Wallace had to did you, get a playlist. I got a
6: playlist. Well, what
2: was on the playlist, and how did um, you get involved with the brothers?
6: So. I played in a band prior to this that was, like, Americana, and Tim happened to be at one of our shows, and we just got to chatting, and he was like, oh, I play with my brother, but we need a bass player, and I was like, oh, well, because in this past band, I played guitar, and I was like, oh, I also play bass, Um, and he was like, oh, well, do you want to play with us? Like, this is the kind of music we play. And then I was like, "Well, I'm not as familiar." And he was like, "Okay, here's a list of everything."
2: Who was who was on? Just like a, a, a um, few. That it was count. like
6: Joy Division, New Order. Um, maybe the Cure was on there. Yeah, yeah, for I sure. can't really remember. Oh, and then a lot sure. of like, actually, I feel like a lot of like more local bands. Like you put. Um, uh, Probably put Pill on there. Yeah. Probably Former put, snackatoon uh, guests. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great yeah, band. They're great. Um. So yeah, he was like, "Just listen to maybe this and plans. start playing with a pick."
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. But the, the, it, the funny part about that was that, um, well, I, I met her at a show, but then I recorded her band's, uh, her previous band's EP. And just it was like while we were talking in the studio or something like you brought up that you'd played bass in high school. And, and oh, like, yeah, and like you say. know, like her previous band, Young Tides, was this this like great, uh, like Americana Quartet thing, like beautiful songwriting and stuff. And I was really stoked on it. But for some reason, I was just like, I think you'll like make sense in this like post-punk band we're trying to do, you know, like, I, you know, or just like louder rock band. And, and I've never heard you play bass. And I don't know something. But we like talked her into it. And we were like, yeah, don't worry, we're going to play like. You know, one show a month, maybe, at yeah. the most. You know, it's just going to be like a casual recording yeah. project. It's like, we'll and
6: practice like once every two yeah. weeks.
4: <laughs> Which that has changed severely <laughs> since, since then. But we tricked her into it somehow. I don't know.
2: When family works, you almost don't even need to have communication. You just kind of look at each other. You're just kind of coming from the same place. Um, how do you bring in a third member? Have you picked up on the the language as well.
6: Like playing with the two of them. Right.
2: Just, I mean, you essentially like when you, you know, you're raised by the same parents, um, you kind of come from a similar work ethic. It, a lot of the rules or the translations you talked about doesn't need to be translated. So are right. you done being translated to, or? Yes.
6: For, I mean, I think so. I mean, there's some cases I think I do, but like I grew up with two older brothers, so I'm used to being around stinky boys <laughs> and no offense. um, so it was really easy for me to like settle in like comfortably. I think. Can we hear a song? Yes.
4: Yes. Yeah. This one is uh, this one's called Surface, and uh, it is going to be on our upcoming LP that we are currently working on.
2: Cool. Well, here we go live on Snacky Tunes. <laughs> That it was just going to be a really kind of easy project, you know, practice once every couple weeks. But you were named one of the hardest working bands in yeah. New York City, and I think it's like yeah. 150 shows, five tours in the last couple years.
4: Yeah, the last like it, like from when we started playing, it's yeah, it's just like a little over two years. Well, no, it's about a year and a half from that count, you know. But mm-hmm. but we're also just kind of ballparking, we think there's probably more. It's like, you know. Yeah we we've, um, we've yeah. had
2: a f- we've had a few of the hardest working bands on here and and sure. the designation is like it has to be a proper venue so like house shows or pop up things don't totally count so it's a only the, official, well, the,
4: Yeah, oh, the, you mean the designation, like, on that website? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, totally. So, I mean, there's, like, tons of, you know, I, I, it, it was, like, 40-something on the website, and the, there's, like, you know, a bunch that we played in New York that weren't there. And it's also, like, they don't they don't cover, like, the tour shows and stuff, and, like, so many of our friends that were on that thing, or so many of our friends in New York are touring so hard and just playing so much. And the thing about every show, at least for us, is that there's, like, there's a practice before the show, you know, so that's like it's it's kind of like a two night involvement, you know, um, and there's also like writing practices and stuff in between that. So we see each other a lot and I'm glad, glad we get along and like each other. <laughs> yeah. What what do
2: you think kicked it from, you know, practice once every couple of weeks and like easy to playing all these shows and, and going out so much?
5: I think um, we intentionally try to play as much as possible just to be added to more shows. If you don't have any like leads to the venues, you play enough of the venues to hear about you eventually and invite you there you know um, I, I think realizing once we realized that that's well pretty much what we had to do, you know and it, we wanted to do it too you know it's just we wanted to play as much as possible. It was a casual thing but I was in, I was in two bands when we started and that band broke up so I had more time. Um, And it was just that there there were venues we wanted to play at that probably weren't going to have us yet because we were brand new. So we played as many shows as possible to be able to play those venues. What,
2: What were the venues?
5: Well, um, it was the first place we, we played grand victory was the first place yeah. we played. And, and then we played cake shop a, a whole bunch of oh, cake shop. RIP. RIP. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I was
2: actually just at the new reiteration. Oh, how is it? It's just weird. It's like yeah. upscale ish. Kind of. It's I
6: not, it's not a venue though, right? No.
2: Well, or is it, I saw the like a violin player playing along with the DJ and I was watching it and I go, huh. am I being judgy or is this bad? Right. And I was like, Oh, I'm being judgy. And this is also bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I got it. But like, I mean, I've been going there. I mean, I saw like Test Ice play there
4: like forever.
2: Like, yeah, you know, yeah, And yeah. just like it's, uh, you couldn't recapture how rad it was down there for whatever. You know, there's something like fourteen dollar yeah. Jamesons, and so no.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Ooh. totally. Well, I li- li- listen, I totally trust Andy, who was behind Cake Shop, and I think like yeah. you know if he's behind this thing, it'll yeah. be it'll be super cool. He was like, he, I think our second show was at Cake Shop, ever. I think it was our second yeah, show, definitely. right? And and it was like it was really it was it was a nice experience. And and our first couple shows we just, we, a lot of people responded really, really nicely and kind of surprised us. Like, we were just kind of casually doing these shows. And, and I, I think we've, I think we've just kind of come to this, uh this sort of realization that, you know, you're a band, you play shows, you know, that's, you get better when you do it. You know, you, you are, you're better as a band, you're tighter as, as people and as friends. And it, I think it's just like, you know, if that's what you set out to do, then you should go play shows. You should go play live. It'll, it'll only like help improve the thing. There's so much uh there's so much pressure put on bands that's like you know to like to focus on your, you know, I hate this word, to focus on your draw or whatever and like don't oversaturate and don't, you know, don't play too often. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like make sure you're bringing out, you know, all your friends and like your cousin still wants to come to every show or whatever, <laughs> you know. And like I don't know, man. I, I don't totally buy it. I think, like, you know, especially in a huge city like New York where there's so many good bands and, like, you know, you meet so many people. We've made so many good friends at these shows that it just feels like the thing we should be doing. So if we can play it and, like, it's with bands that we like, like, we'll, we'll fucking do it, you know? That's- I mean, I, re- I remember
2: going growing up uh, right outside Philadelphia and the bands that I was friends with, they played every weekend. Like, no one had a problem. Right. I guess it was also a different time. Like, that's right. how you got the word out. I, I also... I think i agree with you that it's, it's so crowded or you'll find bands whose image are super polished but then you see them play live and they can't play live right
4: yeah. right yeah, yeah, yeah. totally man totally I, I, and it's uh i mean i mean it's just like a rewarding experience it's a nice opportunity for like positive or negative feedback or whatever it is you know um and uh and i don't know i mean like you know you got to be able to play in a basement in a bedroom at at a big ass stage somewhere you know like you just got to be like able to do all that stuff so i think like you know the more we play the better we get at that Mm -hmm. and we bought a van so we want to use our van (laughs) can we hear another song sure Uh, yeah this one is currently untitled also on our uh, upcoming lp
2: An EP in two thousand and sixteen. How did, and you mentioned that you had written like kind of like ten songs and two of those songs are still playing. What of those kind of early writing sessions ended up on the EP?
5: Um, which songs in particular? Yeah, um, High Ideal and Ponzi are um, the two songs that ended up on that EP. Second mm. track and the last track.
2: And how was the writing process with your brother and, and Wallace different than kind of your previous band experiences?
5: Um, I. It's, it's hard. That's hard to describe. I, I felt we had more of an idea in the writing process. We had um, more of an idea in the beginning of what we wanted before we even had a lot of experience, you know, or, or a catalog, or, you know, songs with each other. Um, what it does have in common is that all those bands were around for a bit, you know, and we got comfortable with each other and, and everything was kind of streamlined. And I, I feel like we're already at that. At that process, you know, it changed a little bit when Wallace was actually included in the writing because it was Tim and I probably wrote like 10 throwaway songs. We kept like two, you know, we didn't think they were throwaway at the time. We tried really no hard one, no one ever does no no no. <laughs> yeah. no another throwaway till later you gotta, you gotta be honest with yourself
4: yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah this is
2: good yeah like i don't think we've tried any more songs for like five more yeah. years yeah. You believe it? Yeah, we, yeah we just crushed it yeah man i mean
4: we write a lot of stuff like for our, our record i think we had like it was like 20 plus songs to that we were like kind of trying to whittle down and it's a full length and we're redoing we're redoing uh one song from the ep high ideal though, and and uh And there's another, like, kind of, like, early one that we're putting on there. Um, But there's, like, a lot of writing involved, and I think us writing together kind of speeds it up, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. We know what we want, you know? Um, Usually it's, like, a bass riff that Wallace will bring in, some bass riff, and we're like, oh, yeah, cool, let's build on that. (laughs) And sometimes it's really bad, man, you know? But hopefully hopefully we're, like, choosing the best ones, you know? And, And Wallace, have you been able to bring in any of your influences, your own playlist?
6: Um... If you saw my playlist, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, not really. I mean, I'd like to think that, like, the stuff I'm bringing in and playing is somehow, like, reflecting off the stuff I do listen to that would make no sense. Like,
2: what's, like, one example?
6: Like, Sade is, like, my fucking favorite ever. My bass is named Sade. Of course. Lover. I yeah. love her. I love her. But obviously, that makes no sense at all. When I tell people that, they're like, what, but that's um, but
2: that's the balance, right? That's like the other approach when you don't you are not raised with the same influences. Right. You're like, oh, and Shaday is an influence of this band, but it <laughs> takes it it takes <laughs> it to it takes it to another perspective because you're not you're reinterpreting and making it new. You're not just copying.
6: Exactly, totally. Right,
4: right. I mean, I, I should also say that that the most played music in the tour van is Toto, for sure. For sure. Like all three of us, get down to like some Toto. Like even the deep cut B sides. Mostly, mostly just mostly the hits. the hits, mostly the hits, but you know, but what a list of hits, what yeah, a list of great hits, hits. Yeah. but like over and over it, and over. It's yeah, mostly Africa <laughs> and Rosanna. Yeah, definitely.
6: Typically,
2: Rosanna. Like, it's,
4: it's just those two songs because the, the tape player stuck and yeah, well, yeah. the tape player doesn't even work, but that's, that would be fine with me too, but yeah. it's, I mean, well, I think we've kind of realized that that may be like the musical peak of, you know? Yeah. And, and you've already mentioned, it, but you're working on a new LP. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, we're um, we're recording with our friend Jeff Burner, who's who's doing a good, you know, he's doing it. Mean, he's doing Amazing, great, great job. Mm-hmm. He's a great dude, and uh, and he's like making it possible because I engineered all our like early stuff, and, and I just like that's really difficult, you know, it's hard to like remove yourself from the and, and you know take on the tech aspect and and you know be in charge of making the songs good. So Jeff is has like kind of stepped in and is like driving it forward and is just is totally killing it. And, um, yeah, we're almost there. It's just, like, some vocals need recorded, and uh, that's about it. Amazing. And yeah. And then you're about to hit up uh, some touring with our favorites, Grim Streaker and some South by Southwest. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> we were. We actually might not be able to do South by this year because of the record timing. Um, and Grim Streaker, you know, I they ended up, they ended up not being able to do the like tour down and stuff, which, which is kind of the thing with South by like South by is like, so last minute and so insane that it's like, you know, like you make it if you can, you know, if you can, there's always next year. Um, but, like, the record is taking a little longer. We just we might have to make a choice between, like, prioritizing, you know, getting the record done the way we want it done versus, you know, going down to South by this year because we're going to tour a bunch this year also. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll be down in Austin. And hopefully we can pull Grim Streaker out because they would be a fun band to tour with, I think. <laughs> you know? They'd be awesome. Well, we want to make
2: sure we have time for one more song, but where can people find you, hear your pee, see one of your millions of shows?
4: <laughs> oh, yeah, uh so uh well i mean we're on spotify and and Bandcamp and all that stuff uh we're playing a, a, yeah a whole bunch of shows by the time this goes up i'm sure there will be some shows in in march and april and stuff there's there's kind of a, like a loft party we're planning that you know mm-hmm. you'll have more details about april 14th april 14th that'll be real good not um, dropping any hints yeah yeah <laughs> you should come to that show it'll be fun um yeah, so you can find us on all the like you know the normal spots and uh, and we just put out a seven inch that should be in like shops around Brooklyn and stuff pretty soon, uh, so that you can pick those up there or at our shows. Great. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Snacky Tunes. We'll be back next week with
2: an all new one. What is the name of the last song you're gonna play for us? Uh,
4: this one is High Ideal. This was one of the like early songs we wrote, and it's like it's kind of. Uh, it's changed in you know different iterations, and we're also playing more of a stripped-down thing for this. So you're not you, you know there's some elements um, there's some elements in these in the recordings that you would hear um, otherwise. Uh, but yeah, this is an example one. This one's going to be on our LP also, um, kind of like re, you know taking another swing at it, see see what we get out of it. But yeah, this one's called a high ideal.
2: Final question: If you could be any food or dish that represents Big Bus, what would it be?
5: Oh, food that represents big bliss.
2: Oh, man.
5: I
6: mean, do we each get an answer? Uh, Yes. Okay. You're
2: um, you're all individuals. I'm
6: not trying to be cliche, but it would be pizza 100% for me.
4: Perfect. It would be pizza for you? Yeah, yeah for sure. I'm going to go with cereal. I would do it. Really? A- yeah, like a good bowl of cereal, though. Like I thought you real hate cereal. Milk? What?
6: Who told me they, I thought you, one of you told me you hated cereal because no, you ate you it, it too gotta, much a long time ago.
4: Oh, well, that doesn't mean I hate the concept of cereal. Oh. I, I still love cereal and its okay. existence in the world. I thought so. you'd say cheeses. Oh, shit. Cheeses.
5: Um, it's like a bowl of fruit. I <laughs> <laughs> Like, they, like assort, assorted fruit, like, you know, sometimes there's a lot of pineapple in it, sometimes there's grapes, hate- you know.
4: I think the Corey more pineapple in it,
5: the better, though, because that's <laughs> always the best
4: like element of a mm-hmm. fruit bowl. It's like yeah, you yeah. Know, the, the pineapple gets. We're trying out to put as much
5: pineapple yeah. in there as much as possible. But, <laughs> yeah. you know. Perfect. All okay. right, cool. <laughs> Take us out.
1: And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.
5: Ever wonder what kind of podcast Julia Child would have made? Probably
4: would have been one where she introduced you to all of her latest discoveries and favorite people. And that's exactly the tradition we're following on Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. Join me, Todd Schulk, your host, and the Foundation's Executive Director, as I bring you inside the Foundation's world to meet the bright lights of today's food universe, just as Julia used to do from her own famous kitchen. New episodes air on Heritage Radio Network, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. Listen in.